Welcome to Alive and Kicking, the 90s football podcast, a podcast that's more 90s than microchips. Do you remember them stuck in the microwave? Yuck, weren't they? My name's Ash Rose, your host and guide on this, what is it? The original 1990s football podcast, uh, back with a full episode. Yes, I'm gonna not going to do all the apologies and excuses. Let's just be excited that we're back and back with me to talk about the greatest decade of football there's ever been. Mr. Ed Chambers, how are you doing, landlord? I am very well, Ashley. It's great to see you. It's great to be back. It's been a little while since we've done this. A um, little bit excited about today's guest, but possibly not as excited <laughs> as you. Well, do you know, what? I've had a good few weeks of this because I'm working on a QPR project separately. And I've spoken yeah. to Les Ferdinand. I've spoken to Jerry Francis the other day, which was an, which was an absolute honour. Uh, mullet yeah. and all, I must add yeah. as well. Still um, got it. Still got it, still rocking it, which I appreciate. And today's guest, um, because you would have read the title of the episode that you've just downloaded, everyone, is Ian Bloomin Holloway. So yeah, as a as a, Q, as a QPR fan, obviously that's we'll try not get it to QPR, but it's hard not to because we've been talking about his playing career, which was predominantly at QPR in the nineteen nineties. But he's you know, as you know, Ed, like he's a colourful character, somebody who's always worth a sound bite. So I'm not sure what we're going to expect from this. I don't know about you. <laughs> no, I know. Um, obviously, from your point of view, yeah, you've obviously, you know, you're obviously sort of uh, living the dream, talking to uh, talking to people that you were uh, that you were obviously massive fans of when you were a kid, and of course, probably still great fans of now. I mean, you know, Les and Jerry Francis. I mean, that's pretty pretty impressive. And Ian Holloway as well. Yes, I don't know what to expect from Ian Holloway, and I think um, anybody that's interviewed uh, Ian Holloway in the last twenty or thirty years probably doesn't know what to expect yeah. either. So, um, yeah, I'm quite looking forward to it. Um, I've listened to him a few times on various podcasts. He was on Theo Delaney's uh, yeah. quite recently. Um, always worth the always always good value. So uh, let's hope we get a let's hope we get a good one today. So yeah, uh, yeah I'm sure we will. I'm sure we will. Uh, we were just talking there um, before we started recording actually, and we said, why don't we talk about this on the show? But it dawned on me quite recently with the appointment of Michael Carrick as Middlesbrough manager that we are now in a position at a certain age because I imagine everyone listening to this is of a certain age as well listening because they appreciate the decade that we appreciate and that not only do we remember man but managers when they were playing like Michael Carrick but we actually remember them debuting like Wayne Rooney another example like I remember obviously we remember his debut which didn't even come in the 90s and now he's a manager obviously at DC he was at Derby um just makes me feel old, Ed. It really does. <laughs> um, well, yeah. As I'm, as I'm getting every, every hour closer to my fortieth birthday. Um, yeah, it does make me feel. It does make me feel old when I see that. I was saying to you, just yeah, again off, off Ed, um, that uh, I saw uh, Carrick play for West Ham once, and um, he was like, he, he must have only been about nineteen, but he was mm. the best player on the pitch by a long long chalk and I thought you know this lad's gonna have a successful career but as you say it's now here he is you know in his early 40s or whatever yeah. and he is manager of manager of Middlesbrough and of course that's you know if you if you take it if you take it back a step to the 90s which is obviously what we're here for like you know our parents or whatever could sort of say the same about Brian Robson when he's a yeah. favorite Middlesbrough you know that you know he was just he, I mean, to us, Brian Robson was just an old man. Yeah. You know, that's the way yeah. I used to look at Brian Robson. I was like, he's that old bloke that won the league at Man United when he'd been there a long time. <laughs> and and now, obviously, then Robbo, and I'm a bit disappointed Carrick didn't do the whole yeah. shirt and shorts thing. I know he's not a player manager, but. It'd been a nice heartback, yeah. wouldn't it? Yeah. I think, I think, I think they missed it. I think. I think from, you know, I think they didn't realise we've obviously got a podcast to sell. Um, I think they missed the trick there. Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Someone so, on the, uh, the the comms team is obviously too young for that photo. Yeah. Doesn't remember the Brian Robson classic. Exactly. 
speaking of um, speaking of old footballers uh, in the Rose household, have you been watching um, Strictly? In bits, we're not. We yeah. used to be religious watchers of Strictly, but I think right. we just fell out of the. I think it's got a bit samey over the years. It's like I'm a celeb started this week, and yeah. I'm kind of. I watched the first half now, but I feel like I've watched this yeah. like for the last twenty years. Nothing really changes, but I have been. <laughs> I know what you're going to say. I have been keeping touch with. Well, Arsenal favourite, because clearly the Arsenal fans are on the dial, aren't they? The, the fact yeah, that Tony I mean, Adams is still in it. Yeah, I mean, I said I said this on Twitter the other day, but I, so I don't really, I don't really watch it. My kids, my kids absolutely love it. Um, I use it as an excuse to leave the room and go and watch the five thirty game on a Saturday. Yeah, it's normally in the second half by the time Strictly kicks off. Um, so I normally sort of do that, but then I'll always watch the results show with them. And um, every week I say to my wife. I think Tony Adams is going to get free, you know, uh, with no knowledge whatsoever. But she doesn't realise that Arsenal fans will vote for anything. Yeah. Right? <laughs> Honestly, like if, if you know, the, uh, Arsenal fans will vote for anything to do with Arsenal, anything that will promote them, they will vote for it. And Tony Adams is um, is right there. I think he might win it. I think he might go far because they do. Honestly, people love an underdog, right? Yeah. People love someone that's come from absolutely no experience whatsoever of dancing, right? And then... As I say, at the Arsenal appraiser, he's got a chance. He's got a chance. But I'm talking about it a lot, and I'm, I don't even watch it. But I just feel, I just feel that I just, I just get pleasure from being right every week for once. He's going to go through. But she always yeah. says, she always says, "Oh no, I don't, I don't. You know, he's done well. I don't think so." But obviously, she doesn't like football, so she doesn't know that. She doesn't know what we how dedicated we are, yeah, to, as yeah. fans to yeah. I mean, without yeah. making this a strictly podcast, I do feel yeah. like that I would rather see someone win who made a, a journey, as the cliche oh, goes, yeah. rather than someone who already is a dancer or whatever. But yeah. Um, that's yeah, you know, that's yeah. not. And just this just on the um just on the, the jungle thing, I I'm the same as you. I watched a bit of it on Sunday, mm. and um, you always get that one person that says, uh, "I don't really know what I'm doing here." Yeah, how have life? you never seen it before? <laughs> I was like, I was like, well, well, yeah, like, why have you have you never seen it, or you have, but you, we know, we all know why you're there. Yeah, they're paying you, they're paying you like a year's salary, probably to to and more yeah. to be there. So uh, I think we know why you're there. Um, so. Don't don't come at us with all that nonsense. Yeah, I know. It's it's like the, we always we talk about here the cliche of the uh, the England call up, isn't oh. it? Oh, I thought it was me, mate. I thought he was on oh. the wind up. Yeah, well, we're going to get that in spades this week, aren't we? With, um, yes, we the are. World Cup, the World yeah. Cup. Uh, World obviously, Cup. we won't date the podcast by saying who we think is going to be in and out. We might have to talk about it after the uh, after the event, but uh, I don't think there's going to be any Gascoigne style uh, smashing the room up. Um, no, I, think, I don't. I think I don't it's going to so. be. I think it's going to be pretty nailed on, pretty boring. Um, you know, I think the um, the third goalkeeper. I mean, who really cares at the end of the day? I mean, it is a is an it's interesting. Not Dave I'm not interested. You know what I mean? Exactly. It is, <laughs> it is an it is an interesting. Yeah, it is an interesting battle between who's you know Henderson, Pope, and Ramsdale. But it's like at the end of the day, does it really matter? Because the third goalkeeper is not doing anything. You more pick a third goalkeeper for their personality, in my opinion, because yeah, okay. they're going to well, be you, there. To... Okay, you, always, you know, you need someone to carry the kit and the cones. Yeah, well, yeah. You know? well, I, mean, I mean, like Connor Cody's going to get in the squad because, like he did at uh, the Euros, he's he, yeah. from what I've seen. I've spoken to Connor in the past. He's obviously a, a really good man to have in the dressing room. Yeah. Like, he has that yeah. kind of leadership, that spirit, and kind of he's a good he's a good egg. Is I suppose is the term to have um, in the um, camp. But he's. 
Who's the um, current day um, Steve Howie, isn't he? Steve Howie got into the Euro 96 Yeah, squad the forgotten and, man um, of the Euro 96 did, squad, did, yeah. Didn't, didn't kick a ball, and I think Connor Cody's that kind of same. He's a good guy to have around, but he might not get on the pitch. Um, so, uh, so yeah, we'll see We'll see what Thursday what Thursday brings, yeah. Yeah, we'll, we'll talk about that on the on the next show, because we've got a few can't, like, actually lined up for a change, so uh, we, will, we will be back in a more regular basis up, up until Christmas, and then... Um, we'll see what happens after that indeed uh, I, I must say as well while we're talking 90s that we've noticed in the break um anyways you're probably already aware of this because if you've listened to us you follow the same kind of accounts that we follow as well but shout out to classic football shirts who again have come big time with their christmas jumpers um for for this year last year i got the uh, the roberto baggio one which i wore proudly on christmas dinner and i'm just grabbing this out of shot Yes, they 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 were they were teasing me, Ed. Like they had some great designs. I liked the Dennis Burkamp mm-hmm. Arsenal one. I liked yeah. the Chelsea granite one because that's a classic uh, kit yeah. from that era. And I, but I still didn't feel comfortable. You know, I'm not an Arsenal fan. I'm not a Chelsea fan. They didn't do a yeah. classic FM QPR one, obviously. Yeah. Yeah. So then they started going European, and I was I was you know they were teasing me a bit mm-hmm. more. You know, okay. the Barcelona Ronaldo kit was nice. Uh-huh. Some of the Serie yeah. A teams, but I was I was like, no, I've got my Baggio one. I'm, I'm fine. Okay. And then they went USA 94, didn't they? Oh, they, they didn't, really? They, did. uh, they, they didn't quite go full. They didn't do yeah. the denim, which I'm surprised yeah. at. They went home kit. Here we go. Oh, you didn't. You bought, you got one. And I've got one. There it is. I'm oh, showing Ed now. USA you. 94. Another Look at that. So uh, for the listeners, <laughs> it looks like um, Southampton's kit. It does a bit, the, yeah. The, the, it does a little it's bit. And, it's red and white, but it's got USA 94 written on the back, yeah. um, which is... Rather impressive, I must say. Um, yeah. and, and that's speaking from somebody who kits isn't at the forefront of their uh, their mind like it is for is for you, perhaps. But um, I like the nostalgia of kits. I got that patio jumper last it's year lovely. as well. I think you put me you put me onto it. I'm considering getting another one this year just for the novelty <laughs> novelty value. Well, I, um, I kind of I've stupidly I love a Christmas jumper, and I've made it my gimmick at Christmas to have a new yeah. one every year, which yeah. is ridiculous because I've now like got like 15 Christmas jumpers, and you know my wife is like, yeah, do you need an, do you need another one? Say like your, I mean, like I'm looking at your office environment now, which is full of like figures and books and God knows what from years ago. Like you, you must live in a mansion because your your wife must just put up with so you must have so much. I'm going to call it crap, but it I know is, what yeah. it is. that's what she you, calls you, it. Yeah. yeah, you, yeah, I'm not sure she, and probably worse. Um, you, 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 you're a hoarder, but you've got a lot of a lot of nostalgia there, which is which is great. But um, I've, yeah, I've got boxes if, here unopened that I have no yeah. shelf space for. God knows what's God knows what's here. Look, there. look, uh, all unopened. Oh my god! Right, okay. So, so yeah, um, so yeah, maybe you maybe you need a Christmas jumper cupboard. Yeah, they all just go in a sack at the moment. No pun, like yeah. no uh, no entendre. Then and just go in the loft <laughs> yeah. until. Yeah. Uh, until yeah, the until good. the Christmas and I get them all out again and go, Oh god, I forgot that one. Oh yeah, yeah I forgot I that think, one. I think if we're gonna do a Christmas show, I think we should do it. Um I'm just thinking off the top of my head now. I think we should do it together in a pub. Imagine that. would be brilliant, wouldn't it? Yeah. You're now talking about equipment I don't own, but I can definitely try. <laughs> don't worry. There's always someone who knows something. There's always someone. There's always someone. Anyway, um, shall we get on? Shall we crack on with today's show? Um, that would be wise. That's, we'll bring in our guest in just a second. Um, we are speaking, as we said at the top there, to... Um, he's got a new book out, so we'll talk about the book as well. But here is us speaking to the legend. I'm going to call him that because to me as a QPR fan, he definitely is. Uh, here is us speaking on this week's Live and Kicking to Ian... Holloway, enjoy. 
Sit back and enjoy a nostalgic ride through the decade that truly changed the face of football. If the 90s are now retro, then it's time for a celebration. Welcome to Alive and Kicking, the 90s football podcast. Joining us now uh, on Alive and Kicking, I mean... I'm a QPR fan, so it's an absolutely pleasure for me to say these words. Um, we'll be talking about a new book that he's got out in just a second, but also chatting through some highs and lows of the 1990s. The the, the one and only, the QPR legend, that is Ian Holloway. Ian, welcome to Alive and Kicking. Hello, Ash. How are you, mate? You okay? I'm good. I'm good. How are you? Very good, thank you. I can't believe that uh, wound up you give me there. That's uh, <laughs> well, I was very lucky to be the uh, hod carrier in that brilliant team we had. <laughs> well, we'll definitely talk about that brilliant team. And how much we have us to put clocks on? Top London club. There you go, Ed. I've mentioned it already. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of <laughs> blimey, Ash. I had I had twenty seconds. You mentioned it within ten, so that's there you go. Good, mate. Yeah, that's, that's the bingo card for everyone listening. I do mention that in on a on a weekly basis. That uh, yeah, keep our top London club first season of the Premier League. So we'll definitely definitely get into all that um, in just a bit. Um, before that, Ian, let's talk about a new book. You got a new book out. Um, I've got it right here. I've started to read it, which is all good. Yeah. Um, how to be a football manager. Tell us briefly how that came about, what is what the book entails and, and what we can look forward to. Well, it, it came about because the fellow wrote my first book, my autobiography, he contacted me and said, come on, Ollie, I want you to do another book. I went, I don't want to. <laughs> so uh, it was quite that simple. Then he said, look, let me send over. It's going to be very, very different. And uh, I think you'll be perfect for it. So he sent me over the topics. The uh, headline books want, wanted a manager to talk about. Um, and he said, just see if you've got anything that would fit in there and, and maybe you can say it out there and we'll try and not get you sued. You know, just let people <laughs> understand yeah. after COVID how, how some clubs have gone bust and other clubs are still thriving, what it's actually like to be a manager. And, and so I, I looked at the, the topics and I got really excited. I thought, wow, this, this is going to be a very, very easy thing to do for me and but very fulfilling. I can get some things over that I want to because I'm quite outspoken. So, you know, hopefully I've managed to do it with with David Clayton's help um, in a way that anybody can relate to. You don't have to be a football supporter. There's things in there that will help you in your life. And, you know, I, I come from a council house and it was all about, am I good enough? And, and I openly admit that I didn't believe I was in lots of ways. So, you know, having managed to do what I've done in my life with the help of my wonderful wife, Kim and my family and, and the things that that gave me, I've just loved doing this book and, you know, it's quite cathartic. You look back at things, you, um, and you get things out there. And, you know, the great thing for me is when I'm a great, 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 great granddad in a few sort of decades time, you can download it. Yeah. And my great grandchildren will be able to, hear their granddad's voice which i lost my dad 30 odd years ago now and i can't remember what he sounded like it's heartbreaking you know mm. so hopefully that'll be out there for him but you know it, in the meantime it might be fresh and uh vibrant for someone who wants to get into football help coach a girls team or help some young girl become a full-time professional woman and and show us how to do it to be honest because <laughs> they they won they won the euros when we've Absolutely. been yeah floundering yeah. 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 Well, um, 
Uh, Ed, um, Ian, I'm the uh, I'm I'm the father of three three daughters, so uh, I'll be uh, I'll be purchasing this book for definite. Um, because uh, yeah, my my little girl expressed a desire the other day to play for England, and she's only five. Um, my mum wasn't too, my mum my mum wasn't too happy because she's Irish, so we'll have to we'll have to have that argument <laughs> when the time comes. But um, yeah, so uh, so, uh, so yeah, so. Um, I find it. Um, I find the whole management thing um, fascinating. So I'm probably going to start actually with the end of the towards the end of the '90s, actually, with with this opening question, and the fact yeah. that you became. I think I'm going to get this right. You play. You you were a player at the Bristol Rovers towards the end of your career in your third stint at the club, and then you became manager, player manager. Is that right? Well, I, I went from QPR back to there back as to a, Bristol Rovers as yeah. a player manager. Yeah. Right, and I was going to say, how how did you, as a player manager? Did you find that very difficult in terms of obviously having to do two jobs at the same time? Um, I mean, we, we spoke to Glenn Hoddle um, this time last year, roughly, and he sort of said that it was very difficult because he was dealing with the the sort of the kitchen staff and he was dealing with all staff around the place and then trying to play at the same time. Whereas he actually said that if he was playing, if he was doing a player manager job today, it would probably have been easier. I'm not sure if you'd agree with that or not. No, I think you'd have an awful lot more um, staff around you. But, you know, obviously yeah. I got the Bristol Rovers job and they paid me to do one job, but I had to do two. I, yeah. they, you know, they, they knew that I I was offered a contract at, at QPR to stay for another two years. So they knew I, I could still play. So they wanted me to do that. And basically they paid me one wage to do two jobs. But, you know, I was very lucky. I, I had a, I'm very opinionated and, and Jerry Francis taught me so much. I wanted to, I found it frustrating that we 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 weren't always listening. I felt, you know, at QPR, and mm. <clears throat> I, I I wanted a a chance to um, extend my career as well. When you're 33, and you, you know, you, mm-hmm. you, I, and I was really fit, but it didn't matter because you, you you're thinking how much longer am I gonna? Have? You start worrying. So you know, it was a chance to for, for me to prolong my career and my contact with football. But being in my own town club, I, I was brought up at Bristol Rovers. Um, from nine years old so it, it was a huge almost impossible task because you know the, the the things that you have to do as a manager and also try and play and train and keep on top of yourself at that time um, was almost impossible but to to actually see a game when you're in the middle of the game and you play in midfield is mm. totally and utterly impossible yeah. you know but I, you know I, I did manage to talk to Kenny Dalgleish about it and someone like him who did it brilliantly, probably better than anyone else in the world said it wasn't him. I mean, the, the man's so humble and so brilliant. He said, well, I had Ronnie Moran, yeah. you know, on, on my staff. And they just said, look, Gaffer, just go out and go out and train and we'll sort the rest of it. As long as you play, we'll be fine. Mm. So you've um, got to have good people around you. You've got to have good people around you. I had some great people around me and, and Gary Penrose, my best mate was also player assistant manager. Um, a goalkeeping friend, Phil Coit, was physio goalkeeping coach. So they, wow. yeah, they certainly got, yeah. got you know, they, they got money out of us, didn't they? But, um, <laughs> it, it was all the start of it, you know. And and it uh, till this day, to this day, you know, we had a great run and didn't quite get in the playoffs when we almost should have got promoted anyway. But unfortunately, that was down to me being naive and not getting it right, you know, maybe yeah. wanting it too much, but. All of those years have just helped me as I've gone on, and and he, working in the media has also helped me become uh, a better manager to deal with, and because you, know, you need the media on your side. So all of these things have 
and the experiences I felt through that has been fantastic for me, you know, and, yeah. and I feel qualified to talk to anybody about this marvellous game we got going on. Yeah. And you talk about there about wanting it too much at Bristol. Is that because you are that lad from the council estate and they are your team and you played for them when you're the manager? Do you, do you feel a sort of a burden, perhaps? Maybe that's the wrong word, but a case of that you really wanted to succeed because they are your team. Yeah, a bur burden. It was a privilege, but it also, okay. it also carried a weight of, of the expectation yeah. that you wanted. So I did find that. And everywhere you go, you know, you're either hated by Bristol City fans or you're loved by Rovers. And if you didn't win last week, why not? You know, and, mm. and I've always been so approachable. I was sort of explaining my decisions and I thought, what am I doing? You know, at the end of the day, you, you need to go there and do the best you can. And, and, and as long as that means that you're really positive and you're helping everyone else. I think I got over worried at that time. And then I had a few injuries as well. They didn't really help. So I'm, I'm not doing myself that many favours, you know, but we had lost our, we had a combative midfield where we had five people and we had two inexperienced strikers up front who were great. But when we went from back to front, they couldn't hold it up, Jamie yeah. Curran or Jason Roberts, but we won it back and then played them through. And that's when they were somewhere else, you know, but yeah. unfortunately we lost that wonderful sort of combative piece of midfield. You know, I had Mark Waters on the wing, who, who was just a total luxury out wide. But wow. we would min it, win it back in that middle, slot it through, and off off we went. But it was a joy. You know, some of the football we played was great. But in the end, it's all about getting what you should get if you've been there all season. Unfortunately, we all fell away, mm -hmm. and Rovers um, It's a big, it's a big, huge um, nail in my heart. I have to say, or dagger in my heart. You know, Oof. but it is. It, it, I can't hide from it, and. In this book, I've been able to say I own it, mm. you know. It's the reason why we don't see player managers now. Is it because it's almost impossible to do? No, it is jobs? impossible. Absolutely, totally and utterly impossible right now. Your and scouting network that you need to try and control to have any chance of getting players to come from all over the world, even mm. in the lower leagues. You know, you, you have to have your finger on the pulse and you have to be able to do it. And tactics these days are, are improved so much from when I started years and years ago. Um, you know, you've got analysts at almost every single club who, who analyze the death out of the opposition and tell you their passing lanes. They can, they can give you a, a, a graph of where their most um, effective passes come from and who they're trying to target. So do you, are you a, a team who can play 95% your own way and then just think about set pieces? Or are you a team that needs sort of 75% stop the opposition and then 25% go and hurt them, yeah. you know, and, 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 you know, it's all about where you are and there's not many managers who can actually say, this is what we're going to do every week because we're so good at it and people can't stop us like Pep and yeah. Jurgen have been over the last few years, maybe not so much this year without Mane, but yeah. you know, at the end of the day, you're constantly having to do things that will take away from you being fit enough physically and mentally to go and be the best player on the pitch mm -hmm. and not being funny. If you're, if you're the most experienced and you've played in a premier league and the other lads around you haven't, you're expected to be the best player. Glenn Oddle was expected to be the mm -hmm. best player at Swindon. Yeah. And Kenny Dalgleish was probably far from Russia, the best player <laughs> at, at Liverpool. But you know, at the end of the day, you've got to find your way of, of doing that. And I was coaching 17 and 18 year old lads in midfield who were doing really well a lad called Lewis Hogg and Simon, another one called Simon Brunt, who 
we're playing for England under 17s. So if I coach them throughout the week, making them believe that they could get where I got and then pick myself, who was 37 at the time, above yeah. them, what message am I giving them? Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, but I was sub 17 times in one season, you know, because I thought, oh, I might have to get on. I might have to yeah. do things. But, mm-hmm. you know, you, you really you have to let go of that and then come out and do put the energy into the other side of it. And there's so much to do. I would honestly genuinely say, the best player in the world right now could not be a manager. Yeah. Honestly, they, they couldn't. Yeah. Mm, not a player manager. Yeah. You know? yeah. It's interesting how it's just that role was just, just, and how have you Ian, like embraced that change? Cause like management has, has changed so much since that 1996, I think when you became Bristol Rovers manager, you obviously seen some highs and lows, especially at QPR. How have you embraced the change in, in how being a manager is in modern day football? Well, you have to evolve. You you have to think about who you've got, who you want to bring. And if you've got any sort of longevity at all, you, you, you'll have a team playing in your style, your personality style. Um, I was listening to the radio yesterday and, and Graham Soonis, one of my favourite ever pundits, makes so much sense. You know, he's talking about Sean Dyche yeah. getting a Southampton job. And what he's talking about is all those little nice fancy Dan popper around, you know, like, People like QPR fans would love in their team, <laughs> yeah. popping it here, popping it there, not getting stuck in, not doing the, the fundamentals of getting the defensive bit right. Would that suit Sean Dyche and would, mm. would he be the right one to take it? So it is all about trying to, trying to get long enough to actually put your mark on a club and, and make sure that the fans see a personality coming out. And I was so lucky, really, in a way. My... my the thing that pleases me the most, Bristol Rovers fans put in a book one day. Um, they had to sum up the player that they were talking about and they had oh, okay. loads of players yeah. from out, you know, like um, uh, their favourite players for over the years. And, and th- their comment about me was, I was exactly like a workaholic fighting cock. <laughs> now, now, take away the horrible scaly legs and the claws and, and the, you know, what I actually look like, but yep. that's a massive compliment yep. to me, you know, a workaholic fighting cock. And, you know, that meant the world. Cause really that's what I wanted to do. And, and wrote, I was probably too close to Rovers, you know, but I yeah. felt I had the opportunity to play for them, being a fan of them as mm. a fan would. Yeah. And that that's stuck what, with me all my career. Honestly, yeah, I made what, my players um, realize that. Yeah, that's that's what fans want as well. You know, that's if you're if you're paying your if you're paying your hard-earned money and you're going to stand there on a on a Saturday, they're going to want players to fight and work and work mm-hmm. hard. And if you can say that you've done that, then you've done you've done your job. I mean, that's essentially it. I mean, I mean, that's what fans like to fans like to see. Um, well, at QPR, it wasn't always that, mate. Give it a <laughs> give it a Wilkins all the way. You're useless. That, <laughs> that was that yeah, that was that me. Was my sorry. Own family. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And that was Ash and my own family. Yeah, sorry yeah. about that. Yeah, and my dad. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Uh, but in fact, you're right though, because like even when we look at you in, in that position at QPR, which we'll talk about in a minute, but that evolved as well when you look at a guy like we had Sean Derry a, a decade later, who was really popular. That I think you always need that workaholic type player, and you know, taking you right back to like you know that early '90s period when you were in part of that Bristol Rovers team. I mean, that it must have been 
such a, a, a massive thing as you already mentioned to play for your club be successful as well I heard you talk about a penalty you scored on a, on Theo Delaney's po- podcast as well like a massive moment in your yeah. in your career How, what 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 are your memories of that time that, uh, that early 90s period at Bristol Rovers yeah but basically we were always terrified of losing our job and this is what I, I try and get over to people that at, at the time I played you know there probably wasn't as big a, a threat from like foreign players coming yeah. over here because clubs didn't do that then. But, you know, the, the challenge to actually be the one to wear that shirt and get a new contract, you know, before there was, you know, you could walk out of your contract on a free. If the club held your contract you and you tried to get a new one, it, you'd be out of work, right? Yeah. Because people didn't pick up free freebies then. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. That, well, that wasn't the habit. You had to go and find a player, produce that player or buy one to get your team better. And, and, you know, at the end of the day, if you weren't offered an increase, you could walk out of your club for a free. Right. So we were all terrified. We weren't going to get a job. Yeah. yeah. The next contract to feed our families. And, you know, not like some of these lads now who before be, they, they become, they've had a career. They've earned the money for a career before they've even yeah. Played. Yeah, you know, so it, it, it's sort of the wrong way around these days. But you know, the popularity of football, I believe, we we have to not take for granted. We have to work on. We have to make it something that's special. I believe it is totally special for every family and who, who who likes the game. They they'll spread it down to each generation of them, and and you're, it's it's awful. You're almost hoodwinked into doing it. Come here, you're going to like these, and oh, <laughs> you you got you know and. It, it, I, I just love, I hope it never dies but you know the, the most important thing I have got out of the game is it's made me believe that I really really need other people it's a team sport I need yeah. other people to help me and I need to get them when they're down I help them then they'll help me and that was I realised my importance in the team you know I never gave up and no matter what the score was I would continue to the end I might have had the worst game ever but I would still yeah. Try. I remember at Rovers we lost four, four or five nil one. I said we'll beat them next time. Joe, what 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 happened? What what did we get wrong? And yeah. I couldn't wait to to do it, to review it, and then redo it because I wanted to get better. Mm-hmm. I actually believed I could get better after I met someone like Jerry Francis. So, you know, he used to talk about QPR, and I used to think, oh my god, what in it? And then all of a sudden, I got the opportunity to go there. Oh, I was twenty nine. I got yeah. you know, it was like a dream come true. I used to literally rock in my chair thinking I could do that watching match of the day. And then, you know, but you need someone to believe in you and you need to make them believe in you. And luckily for me, I did, I managed to do that with Jerry. I've heard you speak about Jerry in such kindness before. And obviously he's obviously revered at QPR. I mean, how how did that work in sort of the timeline? Because Jerry went to QPR did, and that must've been a blow to you as a player as Bristol Rovers, but then to hear that, he wants you to join you. You joining, you know, joining the which would become the Premier League first division at the time. How how was that kind of journey from seeing Jerry leave and then you getting your shot, uh, which was you know at the time the big time for QPR and, and, and in the top flight. Well, mate, I took a massive risk, you know, and, and really Jerry didn't sort it out because he was my manager and he he felt he was leaving, which he didn't tell me about, so I didn't get a new contract. So I kept asking him that I want a new contract. And he went, oh, I'm not sure in a minute. You know, you know, anyway, at the end of it, they only offered me the same again, which makes I'm, I'm a free transfer. Yeah. So Jerry then says, look, Ollie, I'm leaving and I might want to bring you to to QPR. And then I went, oh, they've offered me a better deal now. They, they up my money. 
so he knew he had to pay for me and and i didn't think that would be the case i was 29 and he, yeah. he came back and he paid two hundred and thirty thousand pounds for me <laughs> which was a lot of money at that time do you know what i mean and and i'll, I'll be forever grateful for him and Basically, he said, I want your attitude to rub off on this lot. Yeah. Whether, whether you play, whether you don't, I want your attitude to rub off on this lot. And I played over 150 times because I wanted it so badly. Do you know what I mean? But wow. What did a place. Know- what a fantastic club. And did you notice the difference in, when you go in there and you see a squad that, you know, no district to the Bristol Rovers squad, they were obviously in, the, in lower divisions. Did you instantly know that, you know, there were players around you, like the Andy Stintons, the Ray Wilkins, the Les Ferdinands? I mean, how how quickly did you notice that, whoa, this is this is a different level of, of a football? Um, well, the lucky thing for me, I was trained to play, pass a move, get, and if you haven't got the ball, get in a position to get it every time. And, and I was trained and... and Half of my career, up until that time, I, I, I was told just play it forward and then go and get the bits. Yeah. When we were confidently doing well, we could play very good football at Rovers. But really, we weren't allowed to. I had to go up to Devon White, had to drop down, then we'd play it wide. Then when we got on top, we could play more or less how we wanted. But when it wasn't going right, Jerry would really let us know that. Mm. What were you doing before I got in? What do you think you're doing? Passing it sideways and square, playing forward. Get after anyway. It wasn't until I went there that I saw this wonderful style that I just slotted in with. And at first, it was, you know, I had people like Ray Wilkins there, and I'm seeing, hang on, there's playing one twos around me. In the end, he said, "You can do this. Mm. You can be part of this." And and the, the the whole ethos actually grew that we became a really really good side and when you look at the forwards we had at, at times and the wide men and MP and, and and Jerry improved every single one of them in yeah. my opinion you know at first it was a little bit we've had Don now who's this bloke you know because Jerry I wouldn't say he 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 wasn't a big head in any way and he he didn't believe in himself enough in my opinion mm. I believe totally in what he taught me and what he was showing me and and when we went up there they, oh they're international they'll be Gotta be careful. I said, just tell him how you told us for Christ's sake. And you know, not being funny, we 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 took a while, and then all of a sudden, wow, some of that football we played, some of the people he, he moved Clive Wilson from midfield. Yeah. Clive, yeah. Clive kept saying I'm a midfielder. Jerry went, You're a left back, go yeah. and play there. Such an what, underrated what, left back. Yeah, what he did for me, I, I was playing wide wide right at the time. He went, You're a midfield player. Getting he knew, he knew yeah. fundamentally. Ian Alexander, he put from right wing to right back. You're a right back. He put Gary Premis, get up front. He knew where you were, your skills were best. And then he made you believe in that. And that takes some doing. Not everybody as a coach does that because some of them coach, it's about themselves, not about what you need to do. And, you know, in the end, I started listening to him and writing down what he said so I could carry it out on the pitch. I realised that you needed your, your, your each little line of defence when you lose the ball. Uh, and, and it was a joy to meet him because I, I was literally going crazy because, yeah, all right, I, I didn't have a good game, but why? 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 Yeah. And that man was good enough to explain how good he was. He would move you out of the way, show you, and then tell you the picture that he, he saw to put the ball there and then said, look, go on, you can do it. So mm-hmm. deep down, he made you believe that you were much better than you actually were. And he proved it with so many people. I think he took me, Gary Penrose, not directly, yeah. but Gary Penrose came, Steve Yates and Devon White out of that team mm. up to QPR. 
you know, and, and not being funny, would anybody else have done that? Probably not. Mm. But think- when we all got there, we, we saw how good that team was. And really, we were underachieving for the players that we had. I mean, Dave, yeah. David Barsley was absolutely magnificent. Yeah. Rolls-Royce. Yeah, Rolls-Royce. Right you know, yeah. Alan McDonald, Peacock, Gavin. Yeah. Um, you not know, to, uh, Dar- Darren, sorry. You know, yeah. Harry, we used to call him. <laughs> yeah, well, he had a big mane, didn't he? Yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah but not being funny. I mean, we, we had some wonderful days. I, m- I remember we beat um, Tottenham away 2-1 towards the mm-hmm. end of that season. Andy Sinton was completely on fire. Yeah. The, the balls that he put in. And, and really, it was all about you know, get it in the box. And Les, where are you? Get in there. And Les gradually grew into this machine. Yeah. Was, you know? I was going to say, ask a, ask, a, ask a stupid question and get a stupid answer. But how good was Les Ferdinand to play with or even train with, actually? Was he, well, was he devastating in training as well? It, it all changed. It, it, he started to get in the team. We started to do things on an afternoon. I remember Gary Penroy's eulogising about how good this kid is because Gary's been a great scout after he finished playing. Yeah, right. And I remember him running in and saying, Joe, this kid's someone else. Come on, we got... So anyway, we being a midfield player, Jerry put the session on in the afternoon. Everybody else had gone home and he just had a line of mannequins out there. And it went out to Gary. Gary played it back to me. And he said, you can't have a touch. Just play it in the empty space for Les to go on. You don't realise how quick he is. Don't have a touch. Play it in there. Right? So it took a while for us to get the timing of it. Because Les still wanted me to play it into him. And and, yeah. and I just saw it the empty space. And do you know what? We scored about four or five goals like that mm. in the next few weeks. Then his double hat-tricks came. He, he absolutely, totally grew. And I should never forget, one lunchtime, Ray Wilkins sat him down and he said, look, you still don't think you're a part. He said, look at your gear. Look at your gear you got on. He said, I'm not having a go at you, but look at your car and look at your gear. Why didn't you believe yeah. in projecting who you could be? Start to walk it, believe it, and you are. He said, at the minute, you don't believe how good you are. Mm. And do you know what? From that day on, I saw a total difference in Les. And he never changed is who he is. Yeah. There was a story that someone had a puncture and he stopped and he helped her on the side of the road, this lady. It was wonderful, wonderful. After he's so famous, you know, brilliant. He never changed, but my goodness me, how he believed and he perceived himself. I was the best runner at the club, the fittest in the club, and he said, I'm going to be with you, right? In the end, he was way in front of me because he was so powerful and he could yeah. sprint up and down. But if we had 20 runs to do, I would beat him like 10 out of those 20 because he would tire in the end of it, he got in the England set. Become even a total machine. You couldn't stop him. Yeah, because he believed, and it wasn't arrogant. He's still like that today, a, though. You speak a to him joy today. to see. Oh, yeah. he's a wonderful man. Maybe. Yeah, wonderful he's... man. But it was a joy to to witness it. I remember I gave him a five five yard pass. It was a it was a good pass because I saw it and I knew he would he was on. So I played it first time. He got it and he turned against Norwich. I and remember he went, this what, goal. Yeah. What 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 bang. And I saw it, it was like slow motion in front of me. And I thought to myself, as I was running, I thought, this bloke's just brilliant. Yeah. And he scored and he came back and he patted me. And, and I, the lads went, great ball. All I, I said, you just seen that? <laughs> and he got, all you had to do was hit an area. And he, I mean, he ain't the biggest man in the world, but what a leap and what yeah. a header of the ball. To this it's day. A joy to watch, wasn't it? To this day, Ian, I've not seen someone who can head a ball like Les Ferdinand. Like, 
the leap. He, you know, he's Ronaldo. It's not hyperbolic to say that he's Ronaldo-esque in his leap to get to that ball. It was it absolutely was... incredible athlete, you know. Yeah. But what a wonderful man! I mean, what about his goal against um, Man United? The yeah. free kick. He almost moved the goal further away from where it was at the start <laughs> of the match. Yeah, and he never practiced. It was just his. T- he just totally believed he could do that. Then you yeah. know. Yeah. And I'm sure he'll be he'll play a massive like thanks to Jerry. Yeah. I was gonna say Jerry. about Jerry, because he, he was linked during that decade a lot with the England job. Do you think he could have done that? Do you think he could have he he was that good? He could have been England manager. Yeah. But what what they do, they they were very invasive into your private life. Yeah. Jerry wouldn't have wanted that in not yeah. for one minute of the day, you know. You have to have some sort of, you know, look at the managers they've had since and some of the appalling things they've done to people who are wonderful in the game, like Graham Taylor with that turnip on his head. Yeah. I mean, come on. It's yeah. just totally wrong, isn't it? And the yeah. way Gareth's getting absolutely hounded by our so-called supporters. Yeah, sort yeah. your lives out, a lot of you. we got a World Cup coming, and when we win it, you're going to be gutted, a lot of you. <laughs> Very <laughs> true. Yeah. <laughs> Looking further yeah, into I, that decade, Ian. I mean, we're talking about yeah. Jerry and Les there. They, obviously, them leaving the club in kind of that mid nineties period first Jerry left and went to Spurs and then Les was sold, which we all knew was going to happen eventually, because as you say, he was that good. QPR struggled to replace him. They, Ray Wilkins struggled as manager. How did you cope with that kind of Jerry leaving Les leaving? And then ultimately, you know, we brought in guys like Osborne and Zelik and people like that never really cottoned on, brought in the young lads like Gallen and Dickio. How did you cope with that kind of era at, at Rangers? Mate, it was very, very difficult. Ray had become a, a personal friend of mine, you know. Gave me his suits when he was changing his wardrobe, for Christ's sake. I've got that in my book. And, you know, he was he was so such a wonderful man and kept... Between him and Jerry, it made me believe I could do it. Jerry would yeah. hammer me. Just get back, do that. You know, you know, because... And I understood what I was, really. You know, I knew I could carry the piano on the pitch, put it down and let Ray play it. So, yeah. luckily, I was taught how to know a first-time pass, right, and then go and win it back. So the balance was fine. I had Simon Barker. When Ray got injured, I played with Simon. Simon Underrated seven, as well, yeah. Seven goals, for mm. Christ's sake, in midfield. I was the one that would get a foot in and try and get around and because, you know, that I knew that was what I had to do. But um, the, the, the main point of it is it's all – life's about a balance. yeah. You know, and we lost the balance. We had such a brilliant centre forward who put everybody to the sword. And whatever football we played, it was finished. Les got to a stage where it was finished. And those 22, 24 goals, whatever it was he got, they went straight out of our team. Yeah. And a young fella, Kevin Gallen and Danny Diccio, yeah, they're good. They were very, very good players. But to carry that club and the expectation of that club when we brought a fantastic striker late in his career, Ray's great mate, who wasn't fit when he came yeah. in. Mm-hmm. And Mark really, Hayley, yeah. Mark Hately, him not being fit, absolutely put so much pressure on those front lads, it was almost too much. Yeah. And then when that goes, someone like Trevor Sinclair is going to think, hang on a minute, am I at the right place here? Yeah. Or are we going to win things? So all, everything we were building... Top London club, here it goes, here it goes. It went out the door, really. So mm-hmm. Ray had it had it really, really tough to to actually try and keep us up. And and I was getting on in my years and I was running out of contract. And I went to see Ray and he went, oh, I, I'm not giving you a new deal. 
So I thought, all right. And then Bristol Rovers come in and he went, yeah, but I'm not selling you. You're not going to them. Yeah. You'll have to wait. I need you. And I went, well, that ain't fair, is it? Yeah. I'm, I'm 33 this year, right? And he went, look, I'm sorry. I'm the manager of this club and I'm not doing it. Anyway, a bit later on, he offered me a longer deal. Right? He offered me a longer deal in the end because he said, you've played yourself into one. You know? And then I thought, no, I'm not having that. So in that last bit, it was very, very difficult for me. Mm. You know? Just and my, just... my wife was ill at that time. She had a, a bad depression that happened. Mm. So I said to Ray, look, I can't come the last yeah. three or four weeks. And the man, too, I had to look after my kids. She couldn't get out of bed. So he let me do that. And, mm. you know, I shall never, ever forget that from him. That was a fantastic bit of management. But like, life is never what you see it. And it only takes one thing for a whole group to, to see the energy of a club dissipate and go. Mm. And then all of a sudden... Oh, it's like rats on a ship. They all want to leave then, mm. you know? And, and unfortunately for us, we didn't, we hadn't got things right off the pitch. We were spending far too much money mm. on, yeah. on trying to have a longer future. Some of the young lads at the club should never been given the deals they were for five years. Mm. How do we know they were going to be that good for five years? Mm. The whole thing needed. And in the end, I was charged with rebooting it all because literally that's what I had to do. We could have gone through the hoop yeah um but that that was sad days really in a funny way because we all felt it was sort of rocking and going and yeah but if mark Ately would have been fit one or two of them because we still created chances we still played some fantastic stuff unfortunately we didn't you know i remember in the newcastle game when i had a broken toe we went one nil up i scored a volley i shouldn't have even been playing mm. and then beardsley scores two to get mm. back that was how it was going at that time do you know what i mean yeah, it's a I weird just, old, um, weird old thing. And, and with with Les leaving, obviously you can you can sense the, you know how how that affected how that affected the club. And and kind of in modern day terms, I think um, if Harry Kane left Tottenham, for example, I think the whole I think the whole house of cards would come down there as well because he is the focal point. He is the guy that that gets them the goals. He is the guy the the, the, the main the main focal point of the team. Les was very much that for you guys. And then obviously, as you say, you're bringing in. Gallon and Dickio, it's not, you're not going to hit the same height. So when you came into the season without Les, did you think straight away, we are going to struggle here? We are going to be in a relegation battle? No, no. not at all. No, right, well, okay. I still felt we had a good side, but we lost Clive Wilson as well, didn't we? Yeah. There, right. there was some yeah, very Jerry took him as well. <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm saying. You know, Jerry's no mug and he knew, <laughs> he, he knew that that would be the case. And um, I, I just feel... Ray was really unlucky. Yeah. You know, he brought his mate in, Mark Aitley, and, and, you know, looking back at that, what was he at the time when Ray brought him in? 36, was he yeah. maybe? I don't know. Mm. But, you know, unfortunately, he was injured. When he did get a bit fitter, you know, he, he was a really good lad, really good player. But unfortunately, we, we were in a bit of the mire then, you know, and, and I, I just felt for the younger ones, you know, Mm. I really did. We had some fantastic centre forwards and, and, you know, the pressure on them. And I, I think you've seen it in recent years. If, if you look at Sheffield United, were doing really well. They bought Brewster and he wasn't ready. And, yeah. you know, yeah. it, it, it really is too, too big to expect a young lad to step into a fantastic player's shoes and carry the weight of the forward line. You know, you need mm. to share that out. And mm. maybe, maybe we didn't, but I thought, 
it wasn't the fact, you know, we were all quite excited when, uh, when, he, when he brought his mate along, you know, like we thought, hang on, he is a good player, but yeah. you know, and, but we, we lost the legs of Les. It wasn't just mm-hmm. his aerial prowess. We lost his, the threat of over the top. Anybody could come, come high against us. They would worry. The minute we lost Les, they, they, they got as high as he could. Didn't worry about the space in behind. Cause we had no one really who could go that way and, and hurt him like that. Kevin Gallon, that wasn't his strength. That mm-hmm. wasn't, uh, Danny Dicchio's strength, and it certainly wasn't Mark Aitley's strength. So we lost a bit of that. Do you know what I mean? Mm. So um, yeah, I just feel sorry for Ray. I thought he was very, very unlucky in that. It was a difficult period. Yeah, it was difficult. I wanted to ask we you about Gallon. We didn't actually. go by. We didn't go down by much, did we? Let's no. face it. No, no. I wanted and to ask there you was about so um, many. Yeah, go on. I was going to ask you about Gavin Galling actually, and sorry to interrupt you there. Um, because you obviously saw him very young as as a player then. Then you brought him back to the club as a manager, and there was always talk of Kevin going on there's a the big rumor at the time that man united were going to buy him instead of andy if they hadn't got andy Cole, i've heard that before is he one of the best young players you saw and did he was he unfortunate because he had that long injury didn't he um as well a couple of seasons later that kind of cut out his career slightly how good was kevin gallon how good was he when he came back to the club in the following decade um look i thought kevin was absolutely brilliant um it, it, it's his football brain yeah I honestly, you know, people talk about Wayne Rooney and what what he's done in the in his career, but Kev, I could have played him anywhere. Yeah. I literally could have played him centre midfield. I could have dropped him off. I could have, but you know, he wanted to get out there and he wanted to finish. And and his his veins would turn to ice when he got through. Yeah, ice cold, bang. And you know, not being funny, I think he could have played a little bit earlier in our team. Mm. Um, but at that time, the the academy, as it is now called, yeah. the youth set up, they were trying to support their own, they were doing their own thing oh, under okay. Chris Geeler. And it wasn't right. right. They wanted him to win them the league. Mm. So they weren't telling Jerry how good he was. You know, they weren't they weren't pushing him anything like enough. Would Jerry have, I, I think Jerry's played younger players in his, yeah. in his career and he would have realized the fact that they were keeping him to himself to make sure that they were looking after their jobs. Mm. That's what was wrong. And the minute I took over, I had to disband all of that. We had no money left. Yeah. And mm. I have to say that whole part of the club was very, very insular and corrupt. Mm. It wasn't right. Yeah. Honestly. Yeah. And I'm not bad, people... bad mouthing anybody, but that yeah. club yeah. was not right. And Kevin will tell you himself, he was quite spoiled. And they kept him there too long for their own benefit. I was going to say, it sounds like people were pushing their own agendas rather than the agenda of the club, basically. Absolutely. They had their own separate budget that Chris Geeter was allowed to spend on players. And oh my God, how many of them actually made it? Yeah. Well, Kevin broke records, didn't he, as well, like at youth level. He broke like, like Jimmy Greaves' long stand. I don't know if it still stands now, but at the time he scored like 60, 70 goals in one season. Absolutely. He's broke that record yeah. for, for, for a couple of years in a row. Yeah. And yeah. what I'm saying to you, they, they never came over, oh, you've got to pick him. Yeah. They got, you got to put him in. you got to put him in. Yeah. Now, we did, crazy have, we, you did think have, about it. we did have a load of fantastic. We had Dougie Freeman there, mate, who yeah, was totally frustrated because yeah. he, yeah. he came through that and he wasn't fancied by Chris mm. Geeler. And Chris Geeler had this way of oh, just floating around the place. Uh, honestly, he was a horrible man. Mm. I hate to say it. Absolutely horrible, yeah, no, well, horrible yeah. man. You can see why you're saying And it. there was an awful lot wrong with that football club. And Jerry just focused on the foot, on, on, on 
what he could control, which was the first team. Mm. And not being funny, was it ever expected for us to do what we did with the money that we were spending compared to everybody else? Probably not. But wow, mm. it got him the Tottenham job. But Jerry would have still loved to have, you know, carried on with, with QPR if he felt we could have competed. But unfortunately, yeah. I got the job. We were going into administration. We were losing... Mm hundreds of thousands of yeah. pounds a week. And, you know, it wasn't that Chris Wright wasn't trying. It was just terrible. How yeah. the club was fractured. Yeah. That's the best way to put it. Totally Buckets outside fractured. and everything. I remember Ian. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. I'm, I'm conscious of keeping you your time. I wanted no, to No, no, I got, I got. <laughs> you got all the I time in the world, Ian. I all love the it. time in the world. <laughs> you know, and, and it's really it important. Didn't... We're we're getting some points out here that people yeah. might not have known. Yeah. But, you know, at the end of the day, we were losing money, 5.6 million. Mm. Jerry wouldn't even tell me what I was paying, but he knew where I'd come from, Bristol Rovers. We were, and I'd have been fuming with these players. I'd have been really angry with them because they're not earning their money. Mm. And in the end, I was left with seven players, no staff, the end of that season when we've gone down. Yeah. And three years later, I managed to get us back up on 2.8 million, half the budget. Wow. Yeah. Half the budget. And I brought people back like Kevin Gallon, who I yeah. knew. Loved QPR. Well, they you had know, a team. Ken, we, yeah. we had a Kenny team that Jacket, loved them. Ken, yeah. Well, Kenny Jacket helped me. Like, Cookie came back. Mm. Uh, Steve Palmer bought into us. You know what I mean? What a, you know, he's a wonderful sort of calm person to bring in. But, you know, I, I couldn't get anybody who lived out the area. We couldn't pay any removal. So, you know, and Mark Burton, we picked up again. And it, it was fantastic. Gareth Ainsworth. Look at, you know, not being funny. We did it bit by bit. But, you know, I, I can only thank them for... For, for loving the club as I did, you know, mm. and, and the supporters. We, we had some horrible things to face up to. You're not famous anymore. Yeah. Was Peterborough singing when they beat us 4-1. Oh, I remember it. I remember it. Can you remember that? Yeah, you remember that? Yeah, you know, I remember Dan, it. Danny Shitu's debut. Do you know yeah. what I mean? My God. Yeah. Um, but what, well, what can I say? It, it was, the fans had to realise, hang on a minute, you know, that we were the first big club to get into any sort of trouble like that. And, you know, I am really proud that we're, still there we're still floating we're still fighting and we're going to get back eventually to where we ought to be but we have to earn that right which is the premier league mm -hmm. one game i wanted to ask you about Ian, that we haven't touched on and it's, it's kind of going back to that early 90s period and it's a, a famous game for qpr fans old trafford new year's day it's like one of the most at that time it was unheard of to beat manchester united like they did dennis bailey's famous hat trick what was that day like that game like and I mean Dennis Bailey's name is folklore but you didn't really hear much of him after that but what do you remember from that that yeah that yeah I forgot Dennis Dennis came from Bristol Rovers as well yeah of course he did yeah yeah <laughs> that's yeah. five I'm ever so sorry and that's five, yeah. five of them. <laughs> um yeah he, he said it was down to God if mm. that's what he believed I thought it was definitely Dennis um, <laughs> <laughs> um and, Funny, Glenn Oddle said something similar. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> what, I, what I'm actually saying, it's um, it's the weirdest day of my life. That's the first time I ever played at Old Trafford. Mm. And uh, wow, I, I listened to Jerry's team talk from cubicle one in the toilet. <laughs> where I used, to, I used to get butterflies, but that day it was more like... Um, elephants yeah. flapping around <laughs> in my stomach and they went where's Ollie I went I'm here Joe I can hear you <laughs> so we go 2-0 up and I hadn't even touched the ball 
<laughs> and I said to the lads, keep it going. Keep it away from yeah. me. We might win this. Yeah. But I remember we saw their team sheet mm. and Sir Alec rested Giggs and Kachelskis. That's right. Yeah. Mm. And yeah. it absolutely knocked their team completely flat. Yeah. I think Obviously. around that time, I think around that time they were playing, it felt like they were playing <coughs> Leeds every five minutes. I think they were playing Leeds in the FA Cup and the League Cup as well. I think around that sort of New Year's time. So maybe he was trying to rest them for those for those games, well, which I know played it, in your hands, you know. It shocked their team completely. Yeah. And but even if they were playing, I I I I felt that we got a bit of big lift from that, thinking, yeah. hang on a minute, you know, we won't they haven't got that blazing pace down each side you know so but really it 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 we caught them on that day we caught them with a couple of early punches and they couldn't get back up from it you know and mm. but I, I swear to you Dennis was such a good player he deserved that day you know and really did his career build on that after nowhere near enough as it could have been you know but mm. he was unplayable that day yeah you know and, and I remember Andy Sinton and, and Simon Barker we were so up for it when we saw what their team was. <coughs> mm, yeah. Well, he, went, he scored at Highbury that year as well, I think, Dennis Bailey. He had a good season that was that, that season. I thought he scored on the first day of the season at Highbury. So he was a, he did. He was a, he was a very good player. <laughs> Would that be your yeah. favourite game, Ian, as a QPR player? Do you have a, do you have a favourite game or best game that you think <laughs> you'd always stand out for you? I, I think playing Liverpool away when we beat them 3-1 mm. and they clapped us off was, was wow. pr- pretty phenomenal. Yeah. Um, obviously, again, Anfield's like a, a theatre, isn't it? And you know, when when you're 29 years old and you can go out there for the first time, and you see some of these lads, and yet you're part of a team that's just got clapped off for playing outplaying them. That's yeah. summer, you know. That yeah. really is something. Um, but I, I I I never forget the first Premier League game when we were away to Man City and well, that's music, Monday night football. Yeah. The Monday night football. Yeah. Me and Andy Sinton, I was trying to talk to him and he went, it was like, <laughs> what? We couldn't hear it. You know, all the all yeah. the acoustics and what yeah. they had. And it, and it was weird because part of the ground was missing, you know, and then they go one up and then Andy scores a five fingers. Andy gets a fantastic yeah. goal. Yeah. Um, Absolute worldly, and we'd gone away to Man City and gone, you know, showed who we could be. And it, I, wow, this is something else, you know. But I thought this, this, this league is going somewhere. I really did yeah. at that time. It's, it's funny actually watching that. If you can like look back now and see that New Year's Day game, and then see a game eight months later away at Man City, it's almost like you are watching two different types of two different types of football because it's the football league and then the, the, the Premier, Premier League. You yeah. can you can kind of see. A, a difference. I don't know. I don't know if that's just because we know that, but it just it it looked like a different game almost overnight due to due to the sort of the money that Sky were probably pumping into the. Well, yeah, that, that that's the, that's the bad thing about it because it should have all been connected, you know, and, yeah. and it should have been sorted out. But anyway, what can we say about it? We weren't in charge of that, but you know, all I I, I want to say, every, any single game I managed to put that shirt on and play at Loftus Road was totally and utterly an honour. Mm-hmm. That ground is my favourite ground of all by a zillion miles, honestly. Even when we were getting a bit of stick, you know, even when when I first went there, it wasn't quite going well. When Ray got injured, you know, we weren't doing very well and Norwich beat us, I think, 3-0 at home. And, yeah. You know, it, it was a tough start for me in that, in that level. But 
you know, I, I have to say that pitch, how it improved over the years, mm. it's like a snooker table now. It is such a joy to be. And every time I walk there, I go out there and I walk on it. It brings every single match back. Mm. It, it's quite phenomenal. You know, it's not, it's not 90s, Ian, but I, now you say that, has Loftus Road ever rocked as much as Paul Furlong Knight? in that playoff semi-final because that that to me it's 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 become like legend in itself that i feel like the ground was literally shaking but it was it was such it's one it's the best atmosphere i've ever seen at loft Road, and i'm getting a yellow card because i'm going outside the 90s here but <laughs> yeah. um, that to me must be one of the best atmospheres you've ever managed in or played in yeah it and and it's down to my belief in the players that I managed to bring and, and helped me out when we well, I only had seven. Yeah. You know? Lang, Langley and, and Carlisle were injured long term. I had no goalie. And, and I had these uh, administrators telling me, well, play him in goal. I went, what are you talking about? It's a different position. They had no clue what they could do. Yeah. So that, having said, come and have a fight with me if you if you call him a Chelsea ex-Chelsea again, because first missed a few chances, I think that was my payback for because uh, what a finish he was yeah. believing in himself he held someone off slotted it in and Richard Langley got the equaliser up their place at Oldham and, and come on what a what a night but that's every game at Loftus Road on an evening would felt like that to me you know yeah. it's the position of the lights and the crowd how they get behind you it it was quite sensational I feel mm. you know and if you haven't ever walked on that pitch, please get go and go around the ground and ask to do it. And because it is summer else, it really is very, very different to any other ground that you play on. Mm. Totally enclosed all the way around. It feels, you know, it feels so brilliant. Ed, as an away as an away fan here, what, what, what's your go on? I'm going to get your take on Loftus Road. What, what as an away experience, which I know you've done in the past, how do you see Loftus Road as a man who's been to many grounds? Well, first, first of all, you are, um, you are, you know, outing me that I'm not a QPR fan, so that's yeah. fine. I never say who my team is on this podcast. Um, <laughs> as an away fan, uh, Loftus Road is an experience. I have to be very careful what I say here because I'm with two staunch <laughs> QPR men. Um, there is a front row at the top of the, uh, the top of the, the top tier that if you sit in the front row, you can't see the goal. You can see the crossbar beneath you. That's it. Um, it's a little bit tight. It's very old-fashioned. <laughs> very old-fashioned. It's, uh, But at the same time, I love it. Mm. At the same time, I love it. I remember going there as... I think I said this uh, on a podcast before. I went there as a kid and uh, and I think um, QPL were playing Forest because my mate supported Forest. And um, like they let us in for free because we were like, it was just like lift you over the turnstiles. It just felt had like a family kind of atmosphere to it. It just kind of felt like, oh, don't worry about paying for these two lads. You know, just let them, just let them in. It's fine. You know, you wouldn't get that these days. I mean, they, they charge you full price and more. So, as an away fan, it is it is an experience. It's old it's old school. But if you're if you're ready for it, then you know it's it's a good place to go. Mm. It's our place, that's for sure. Um, yeah. <laughs> when they talk is. about moving grounds, Ian, I'm never a fan. Uh, there's been talk of moving ground for many years now at QPR, and I'm, I've never been a fan of that. So long live Loftus Road, I say. Yep, and me. Good stuff. Well, Ian, it's it's been a pleasure speaking to you. I think we've covered so much ground there, and 90s and beyond. Um, good luck with the book. I'm sure it will be a success. Over Anyone needs a stocking filler over Christmas. We're getting to that point now. TV's full of bad Christmas adverts already, isn't it? So, so yeah, 
it's definitely well, worth. the good news, lads, is is if you have a, a a nice Christmas, you can read it. If you didn't like it that much, chuck it on the fire after. It saves a few quid, keeps you warm. <laughs> there you go. Ollie for PM. There, that's my message. Yeah, there you go, yeah. I could do a damn sight better job than those nuggets. In the yeah, I can tell you. Oh, don't don't get me started. Don't get me no, started. As a manager, that. as a as a leader, how can you say uh, you can't do that and then do it yourself? Yeah, absolutely. What on earth? Absolutely. What a bunch of, bunch of pillows. <laughs> I'm going to leave it there before we get too political here. <laughs> no, no political, but oh my God. Sorry, yeah, you lose out a lot. It's all that. right, indeed. Uh, thank you very much for, for listening. Ed, um, if people want to follow you and your football tavern on Twitter, where can they go? Uh, come to at Tavern Football. Thanks, Ash. Um, and you can follow the show at AK90s on Twitter as well. And as I say, Ian's book is out now. Sure, so sure. Get yourself that for Christmas. We'll be back soon as well for more 90s natter as always. I've been Ash Rose. This has been Alive and Kicking. Until next time, keep it 90s.